Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week we are continuing with our watch through of The Magicians, talking about Season 1, Episode 5, Mendings, Major and Minor. Chris, can you give us a recap? Sure. Quentin visits home after finding out that his father has been diagnosed with brain cancer. He struggles with accepting that magic cannot save his father, and eventually opens up to his father about magic. Meanwhile, Julia tries to find other Hedgewitch safe houses after Marina cuts her off, turning to Pete for help, but none of the other safe houses have enough spells for Julia. Seeing her unhealthy choices, Pete convinces Marina to erase James's memory of Julia. It's alumni week back at Breakbills, and after Fogg convinces Alice to return, Elliot and Margot try to convince her to connect them with her aunt as a mentor. The group plays the magical sport of welters to impress the alumni, where Q casts a massive spell that Margot explains is because of the pain he feels about his father. Penny's mentor explains the dangers of traveling, and urges Penny to tattoo wards on himself that would limit his ability to only astral projection. Penny practices astral projection, discovers a woman chained in a dungeon by the beast. Based on the crest on the doors, Quentin realizes that Penny has traveled to the land of Fillory, written about in his favorite book series. <gasps> Fillory's real? Fillory might be real. What? Whoa! Well, why don't we get into it? What are your magic moments from this episode? First, I just want to talk about Welters. Because I originally thought I would be talking about Welters as part of like the setting in society. Mm-hmm. But they give us so little about it here yeah. that... I find it actually just interesting in a kind of entertainment aspect because we get introduced to the game and the game seems like this actually like cool intellectual and skill-based game rather than most sports, Mm -hmm. uh, which I appreciate. But we don't get any questions answered as to why they're on the team for the physical cottage, why it has to be made up of only the five protagonists (laughs) from the show so far. And there's no need for them to train or even explain the rules before the game. Like, there's no... Of course not. ...narrative or meta-narrative explanation of this game before it actually takes place. It's just kind of a a place for things to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's just they had that in the books, so we're going to add it in here, even though we're not going to focus on it. It's just going to be a fun little, fun little thing. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just... Very much, I think, skews the believability of some of the elements of this world. For me, at least, it it really made me cognizant of the fact that I was watching a television show about these characters. (laughs) Versus when they're doing uh, real magic, then you're like, yeah, this is real. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) I also appreciated how when Quentin asks Elliot for help, he grabs his hand and moves him away from Alice, mm-hmm. which is just not something that I think typical male friendships are often represented as having or doing, that kind of physical affection. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that was just a small kind of detail that I thought was nice. Yeah, and the fact that it's also clear, like, relationally, it communicates a lot because as he's dealing with this news about his father, he goes to Elliot. Like, Elliot's the person that he goes to for help. Exactly, yeah. And then just Cancer Puppy. What about Cancer just Puppy? Just everything about Cancer Puppy. <laughs> Poor Cancer The puppy. fact that Cancer Puppy exists 
that there's been a spell to keep him as a puppy for 150 years. Of course there would be, right? That, yeah. That is something that people would do. The fact that they just keep calling him Cancer Puppy. Yeah. That he's introduced and 30 seconds later killed by a spell <laughs> that they fail at. And then immediately chided by Fog, who also knows about Cancer Puppy. Like, <laughs> all of these things suggest so much about Cancer Puppy's place in Break Bills. And it's just such a superb example of the whimsy that this show can bring yeah. in what magic can provide for these characters and for this world that I find utterly charming. It provides the charm coupled with, oh crap, we just killed him. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The the seriousness of the repercussions of magic, mm -hmm. but also the fun that can be had in using magic in novel ways. Oh, magicians. <laughs> what about you? What are your magic moments? Completely non-plot related things with Elliot. In one of the first scenes he's in in this episode, he's being fed snacks by someone completely off screen. <laughs> like, we don't even know who the person is. We just see their hand giving him snacks right into his mouth. <laughs> Which is just amazing. Then later when he's trying to butter up Alice so that he can get access to maybe her aunt as a, as a mentor. He's trying to help her carry her books and literally chooses the smallest book on the pile. Mm -hmm. Like, no help whatsoever. So just like those tiny little character things are just so amusing to me. Yeah, he never stops being Elliot. Yeah. <laughs> or at least the persona of Elliot that he's crafted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another one that I just thought was a really kind of sweet relational detail was when Quentin is doing the spell that goes out of control mm -hmm. during the Welters game, Margot goes over and is like grabbing Elliot. Like they're mm -hmm. they're kind of huddling together, which I just thought was really a really cute, completely missable just sign of their friendship and closeness. Totally. Another moment that just made me laugh is when they're in class and Professor Lipson is going over some spell and she says, it helps if you hold a pleasant thought in your mind, a baby perhaps, if you tolerate those. Which is <laughs> <laughs> just, just such an excellent line. And one that I really appreciate because I am not a baby person. And as somebody like Professor Lipson, a woman who oftentimes people just assume women will love babies and they're almost judged if they don't, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so I just appreciated that as somebody who's never like been a baby person and who's often, you know, lumped in a category with women. I've actually even had a situation where somebody, I don't know, like felt personally hurt because I didn't want to play with their baby. And I'm like, why are you assuming I would want that? Mm -hmm. And like, why are you not holding other people to that standard? Like other people in the same group who were men, you know, and I was just, yeah, it was really annoying and so little little comments like this just 
very amusing to me, and I appreciate them. Totally. <laughs> and the last thing that I thought was, uh, that particularly stood out to me is when Quentin is talking to his dad, and his dad just has the, the smaller comment of, your medications are still being delivered to the house. That's how I know you're not taking them. Mm-hmm. And it was just a, just a small thing. They didn't go into it or anything. But I appreciated at least there's again a mention of Quentin not taking his medications and, and that choice. Yeah. And his dad's relationship with him and worry for him mm-hmm. is absolutely going to be affected by that. Absolutely. And we see how... Not that people wouldn't be really affected if they find out one of their parents has brain cancer and is going to die from it. And that even with magic, there's nothing that they can do to stop that from happening, Mm -hmm. even if they're not very close to their dad. But also, if you struggle with depression... That's going to be even more difficult when when you find out news that is really sad and really difficult to deal with. And maybe he would, not that it would be easy, but like maybe it would alleviate just a little bit if if he was on a medication that worked for his brain. Yeah. Yeah. Just another, another little detail that I'm glad that they brought back as a reminder to the audience. Totally. But why don't we go into our next section, which is setting and society. What are you noticing? So I'm seeing more interesting ideas about Breakbill's place in the world and students' places at Breakbill's. For example, Fogg tells Quentin that they're not the magic police (laughs) when Quentin tries to address what's happened with Julia. And that hedgewitches like Marina and, and others know not to come back to break bills and that most hedgewitches fizzle out over time in the way that that's a way of dealing with their own magic use mm-hmm. in a way that break bills would ultimately want, which is for them not to use magic. You know, it kind of highlights this implicit understanding that hedgewitches are a problem for break bills, that they are a challenge to their authority and something that they do not want in society, but also a desire not to commit their resources to tracking them down and and stamping them out. Yeah, they would rather them fight themselves or destroy themselves and break bills just keep their role as gatekeepers Mm -hmm. of who gets in to learn this classical high-level elite magic. Exactly. Yeah, and so I think it's a really interesting way of highlighting the insidious nature that institutions have of Mm. maintaining discrepancies and inequality. You can say we're not the police in that we don't have an enforcement option, but through your procedures that you do have, your policies that you do have, you still maintain a sense of elitism, uh, an actual elitism, in choosing certain people and not offering those same opportunities to others. Yeah, I mean, they have a hand in creating this quote-unquote problem, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I find it really interesting that the same episode, Fogg visits Alice and asks her to return. Mm -hmm. He mentions that students leave every year, highlighting again that you're probably right from your previous example that most of them aren't getting expelled like Marina. They're dropping out. 
I don't know if the students who dropped out have their memories wiped by Breakbills. You know, just another question, I think, that's arisen by Marina's expulsion. But the fact that Fog is now reaching out to Alice and is providing another opportunity for her to come to Breakbills is, again, more of that highlighting of just a perspective that there are some elite magicians, some people who deserve this or who are wanted at Breakbills, and others who they either don't care about or care about distancing themselves from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and there are reasons why I think that he did seek Alice out, but also we could think about she clearly comes from this rich, elite, magical family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, those are the people that elite institutions would be seeking out, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and giving those personal visits. Yeah. Yeah, and my other point in this section was just about cancer. And cancer being introduced as a part of society and a part of human experiences that magic cannot get rid of. Mm-hmm. A way of showing that there are some things that magic isn't able to solve, which I think is a ongoing theme and issue in this series. Mm-hmm. That magic creates all sorts of new opportunities, but it doesn't get rid of everything. It doesn't solve everything. You know, it makes Quentin feel kind of despair when he talks about, you know, what's the point of magic when we can't fix real problems? And Fogg says, we fix what we can. Magicians will be able to use their powers in some ways, but there are some things that they're just unable to control. I find it really interesting that one of the alumni mentions that some people think that cancer is itself a kind of magic. It is an old curse that can't be broken, mm-hmm. but that is particularly difficult to address because it is something that grows out of human cells and is is too much growth in a body. And it just, I think, is really interesting world building to see how magicians have their own mythologies or theories or ideas that are unprovable, but provide their own explanations within their world for why unexplained things happen in saying that there's this old curse on humanity that no one has any proof of or no one has any memory of, but maybe is the only way of maybe trying to find some kind of comfort in an explanation for the unexplainable. Although maybe maybe it's not unprovable, right? And and I like the fact that she pointed to some different research and mm-hmm. and studies that people are actually doing, magicians are doing to try to learn more about magic and if they can address certain things and and what can be done i I think that that's great world building too to see that magic they they haven't arrived at understanding everything about magic Mm -hmm. that they are still studying themselves and you never know when something new could come up so yeah i i think that's really interesting yeah, and I, and that absolutely works really well with magic being a kind of grad school institution mm-hmm. where it's about not just teaching you the fundamentals, teaching you what all the things that exist, but giving you the skills to further research and further find out the origins, utilities, etc. of magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your points? 
Yeah, kind of similar to what you were saying with the podiatrist mm-hmm. who Quentin is like, you're a magician and then you just become a podiatrist. That seems so boring to him. And Elliot says there just aren't enough noble quests to go around. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I think that that's a great element of the magician's world is that just because you can do magic doesn't mean that you're going to have this exciting life fighting dragons or, you know, whatever. Not that you have to fight them, but, you know, those fantastical imaginings that somebody like Quentin would have and and that a lot of people would have, right? When it's like, oh, they want to go do a lot of things and then it's, oh... The logistics of their dreams end up being much more difficult mm-hmm. uh, or unattainable. And so, yeah, I just, I, I like that element that people can go on to do all sorts of things, but also they are people in the world to do daily life. So, yeah, I think that's great. There's a mundanity to life, even with magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing I think is interesting is just the these mentors. And we're not really going to get anything <laughs> with them in the future, as kind of just mentioned in this episode. But it does add more to the elite system of break bills. Mm-hmm. That not only do students there have access to great education and educators, they also have access to other people who have expertise Mm -hmm. and who will help them, support them in becoming whatever they're going to become, you know, and and someone like Julia doesn't have access to that. And mentors you would expect would help you in furthering your career or deciding on different paths or maybe growing different skills or focusing on a specific area of study. And crucially, providing you with networking opportunities Mm -hmm. to then meet others who are working in that field and hopefully find some kind of employment. Exactly. Exactly. And then... The other side of it is that mentors are going to have their own very specific experiences and their own specific points of view. And in Penny's case, he gets a mentor, the only mentor he has access to, who's a traveler as well, who tells him not to use his power, not to try to grow it, not to try to master it in any way but to bind his body to earth so he can't use his ability only only in very limited ways of astral projection so yeah that's interesting to see because penny is is scared of ending up in a volcano right Mm -hmm. completely legitimate fear i would be worried as well but I think this mentor really does have an influence on him to be thinking about getting this tattoo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to be one of two people in the last 35 years at this institution. There really isn't anyone else he has access to that has experienced what he's experienced and has any insight. Yeah, it really illustrates the isolation that Mm -hmm. he has as a traveler. And in his experiences. Yeah, which then disproportionately 
puts weight on what this mentor is saying. Yeah. Not that I wouldn't consider it if I was a traveler. Totally. <laughs> but yeah. Another thing I was thinking about is how hard Elliot and Margot are trying to win the favor and thus the mentorship with Alice's aunt mm-hmm. and how we don't really see other people trying that hard. I mean, maybe they are and we just don't see it, but we don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking a lot about Elliot being a queer man and it's actually really sad. Uh, very recently that more data has been collected specifically looking at sexual orientation and gender expression in terms of employment and wages and stuff like mm. that. Uh, it's been ignored for a while, like on official census yeah. and stuff like that. The U.S. Census Bureau in 2021, the data they collected revealed that LGBT workers in general are overrepresented in terms of like economic insecurity and low paid occupations Mm. regardless of if they have like higher education or the same education and so yeah there's just the queer community in general faces increased risk of having to experience poverty or unemployment or or public benefits issues because of their orientation or or gender And so thinking about that, as well as Margot as a woman of color, and I know the actor, she's half, I think, Mexican-American, and Latinx women in the United States as of 2022, Pew Research, earned only 65% as much as white men and uh, 18% less than white women Mm -hmm. were earning. The data on South Asian women in the United States is is tricky because there's like a lot of different facets, whether people working versus doing labor in the home. Uh, And then also like some are paid quite a bit in STEM fields and stuff. And then Mm -hmm. like others are earning less than 13,000 annually. So it's just, it's, it's a little trickier, but in general, women of color make less with these wage gaps and or cannot be considered to be hired. And so I think both Elliot and Margot here are thinking about their futures. And this is important. And they are trying to get a mentor who is a white, wealthy woman from a family that seems like it may have wealth and magical prestige going back totally and so yeah i just i think that's really important to note and does kind of bug me then when alice doesn't help Mm. she doesn't introduce them to her aunt she kind of laughs when the aunt says like no the thought of working with either of you sounds exhausting and it's like how based on what Mm -hmm. you know and so I'm like, is that like a racist, homophobic comic? Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on there, but I just didn't like that interchange thinking about how much harder oftentimes people from both the queer community and women of color, or obviously if those intersect, you know, like have to work mm-hmm. um, to get 
the same or usually less than their white counterparts or their straight counterparts. So, yeah. Yeah. Another element that I just thought was interesting is when Quentin was talking to the podiatrist and she said, if magicians could cure cancer, why would anyone have it? Yeah. And he said, we like keeping secrets, which I thought was a very interesting perspective on why magicians wouldn't help other people. Because in my point of view, it's less about keeping secrets and it's more about humans liking to have power over other people. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you allow people to know that you can do these things well now you have an obligation (laughs) to stop diseases from happening Uh, because if you don't that means you're a terrible person Mm -hmm. you are fine with the suffering of other people and and that's a publicly known thing right versus a privately known thing that you just don't care enough and and you'll just go do whatever you want in your life so yeah i just i thought that was an interesting perspective the the secretive thing and wondering if that for quentin is some sort of like cushioning of the harsh reality that he is a part of an mm. exclusive group that is keeping people out and keeping knowledge for themselves, even among other people who have magical abilities. So, yeah, just yeah. thought it was interesting. That is really interesting. And it highlights how Quentin, at least subconsciously, doesn't necessarily see magic as coming with a responsibility to help society. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. I think is also underlying the ideals of break bills. That break bills wants to teach them about magic, but it doesn't really engage with these conversations about, well, then what's your responsibility with magic? Mm -hmm. Outside of your responsibility is to not do things that are dangerous to yourself or others, but not being proactive about helping the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think Marina is actually a prime example of this because... When she gets her memories back and all of the magic she learned at Break Bills, she doesn't keep it to herself and locked mm. away because she wants the secret. She says she will give some of the knowledge to some of the people in her safe house. And that's because she wants the power yeah. <laughs> in this situation, not because she wants the secret. And, like, I guess we could equate them to some degree, like keeping these secrets is keeping the power but yeah it it makes it seem like more mysterious and less condemnable if you're just saying secrets versus we want power over other people (laughs) absolutely which yes it's fascinating to contrast between fog's quote i think in the third episode of the study of magic is about the acquisition of power Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah But let's go into our next section, which is themes and schemes. So I also wanted to talk about the Alumni Week, because I saw that very much as a kind of theme of the possible futures of Mm. our characters. Um, We see Stanley, Penny's mentor, as a future of someone who, yeah, has rejected traveling because he's also been maimed by his traveling power. Mm -hmm. So the possible futures of how traveling can be dangerous for Penny and almost something that he wants to avoid. But I find it interesting that that's kind of the case for a lot of the people that we see, the alumni that we see. Elliot 
very eloquently describes most alumni as living a soporific bourgeois magic hell. (laughs) Which is just delightful. Uh, (laughs) This is one of the reasons I love Elliot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And is really interesting because, yeah, this idea of, like, being bourgeois, being, being middle class, being comfortable, when you have magic, you have that comfort in spades. You have mm-hmm. so much control over your life that it can lead to a kind of boring, mundane existence. Mm-hmm. And for Elliot and for Margot, that's something that, of course, is the worst thing that they can imagine, is living a, a boring life, living a life that is typical and for Elliot in particular, I find that a really, really interesting way of him thinking about possible futures and then him really wanting to do something about that. I think that we see in Elliot here more drive than we've seen in most other episodes, most other circumstances, mm. in him trying to convince Alice to let him meet and become a mentee for her aunt. He makes cupcakes. He makes cupcakes. I mean, they might be magical cupcakes. Who knows? Yeah. Seeing... Or drug cupcakes, <laughs> knowing him. And or. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not mutually exclusive. <laughs> and so, yeah, him him really trying to make that connection and to have some sort of benefit for his future, I think, is a really interesting element of of the show. That's totally true. And very soon... In in the next episode or couple episodes, uh, we'll find out a little bit more about Elliot's background, and uh, I think that's for those who have already watched it. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting element that uh, is understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I just I thought that having in episode five this vision of what post Break Bill's life is like, what the future of magicians is like and having it mostly be disappointing mm-hmm. is really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Just because you have magic that that's not going to make everything in life different. Mm-hmm. If you couldn't have had that laid back <laughs> bourgeois existence before you could, but it doesn't change all of the emotions or experiences that can go with the type of lifestyles that people have in a non-magical world. Yeah, exactly. And for someone like Quentin, who has seemed to excel at school and education, it's interesting to think about, well, what is life like after that? You know, because I know a lot of people who have struggled with, after they graduate, finding a direction when they don't have, I need to take these classes, I need to get to this degree, I need to get these grades, but instead have, you know, many more options open and no clear path forward. I wonder if that's going to be the case for him. Would we say that Quentin has excelled at school? I mean, he was going to an interview with Yale for sure, grad school. Sure, sure. Oh, so. so you mean before he got to break Exactly. Because he seems to be struggling quite a bit at break <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, generally he has been on what seems to be a high-achieving educational path mm-hmm. before break Even if it's in the boring sphere of business. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Another just small one I had was just how Quentin has also seemed to change some of his own motivation in now he is asking Fogg to do something about Julia. Mm-hmm. And I think that he has himself seen 
some of the ways in which he was being a jerk to Julia before and how he was being uncaring for her position. That's what I thought at first at the beginning of that scene. And then I was like, oh, and then he's like, so she's just going to get away with it. And I'm like, oh, he wants her to be punished, (laughs) potentially. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's some interesting elements going on there. And in many ways, it kind of raised questions about his motivation. But it's definitely not the same as feeling like he's just kind of moved on from Julia. Uh, Now Julia seems to be a more pressing concern priority for him. Yeah. Which I find interesting. Well, now she's endangered him, right? Yeah, absolutely. She's found a way to get to him at Break Bills. Mm -hmm. And uh, now it matters. Yeah. (laughs) But what about you? What themes and schemes did you want to address? When Fogg is talking about why he chose to heal his hands and not his eyes Mm. or both... He said that magicians are the instrument and the medium, the marble and the chisel, which I just think is a really interesting idea that isn't always in fantasy and magic systems. For example, I don't think that we really see that in Harry Potter. The more sparse magic that we see in The Lord of the Rings, we don't see that type of idea that it costs something, right? Mm -hmm. There are definitely magic systems where that's the case, but bringing that into the story, um, it's kind of interesting to think about. It makes it so that I think magic and their actions are much more embodied instead of like, not that people's actions are separated from themselves, but it can kind of seem more that way than like much more a part of them, like the decisions they're making with magic mm-hmm. are a part of them and stay with them. And it shows how Fog, being this older magician, has all of this experience and he's not asking the same questions that Quentin is. Sure, he's upset about his eyes and his hands. <laughs> that frustration came out, especially when he was talking with Eliza. Mm-hmm. But he's not asking, what is the point of magic if we can't fix problems? Mm-hmm. He says, we can fix some things, so we fix what we can. And yeah, I just, I think that that's a really wiser outlook that can be difficult, especially in a very broken world <laughs> we live in, that we want to fix so many things or hopefully want to fix everything and we can't but there are things that we can do and we shouldn't get overwhelmed by our inability to do everything that we just do nothing rather than still laboring to do what we can Mm -hmm. even if it's on a smaller scale or even if it's only for one cause or you know whatever the thing is Mm, yeah and another thing just continuing to track elliot's quote from the second episode that magic doesn't come from talent it comes from pain Mm -hmm. uh here Margot is saying a similar thing that the best way to get what you want is to be so miserable you don't want it anymore. Mm. And out of Quentin's pain over his father's diagnosis, he is able to do this big magic. Yeah, so just continuing to track that theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, 
I don't know how I feel about it. I find it really mm-hmm. interesting for their character development in that we are able to see what's hard for these people. And this show and the books do a great job of highlighting different experiences and mental health issues and, and other kind of things. But I know you and I have talked a lot about in the past these kinds of tropes of, oh, well, going through difficult things just makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, or it is part of a plan or whatever that seems to diminish the actual horrors of many of these lived experiences. Oh, absolutely. What doesn't kill you does not necessarily make you stronger. <laughs> yeah. And so for a show to then put forward a thesis that says, here, your pain makes you stronger. Your pain gives you access to literal magic is an interesting thing that I'm starting to to just pay more attention to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the way that I kind of think about it, because yes, I think that is an incredibly irresponsible, damaging message that, yeah, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, you're suffering for a reason, and you'll come out the other side able to do more, blah, 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 because that is just factually false. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, There are some things that can happen that make you weaker, that break your body and you suffer with that pain for the rest of your life, in- increasingly so. You know, so, so it's just one of those trite things that just ugh, drives me up the wall. But so how I kind of look at the this magic thing is that it's not that the pain makes you stronger. It's the pain is fuel mm. for you to do something else with, which, at least for me personally, I can relate to because a lot of the the creative writing that I do, it does come from mm. a lot of my pain. And it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm glad I went through it so that I can write. But like, it's it, it does provide fuel for the, these creative endeavors. And, and maybe we can think of magic as potentially a creative endeavor. Hmm, that's an interesting distinction. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, there's actually a a paragraph from the first magician's book, and this is Dean Fogg talking here, which is incredibly applicable. <laughs> uh, so he's saying that what he thinks is that these students are magicians because they're unhappy. And he goes on to say, most people carry that pain around inside them their whole lives until they kill the pain by other means or until it kills them. But you, my friends, you have found another way, a way to use the pain, to burn it as fuel for light and warmth. You have learned to break the world that has tried to break you. Hmm. Which I liked that quote. (laughs) That's why I saved it. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. But why don't we go into our next section, which is from another point of view. Whose perspective are you really thinking about in this episode? I was thinking about Alice's. Mm, okay. And what her experience is like coming back to break bills. Because I think it's clear that she's still angry. She's still frustrated by everything that's happened. But I also find it great how she's trying not to be angry at Quentin. How the two of them have this kind of awkward but respectful interactions. Mm. Where she, I think, is balancing her emotions and the response to what happened with the logic 
that we've been talking about of, okay, well, he was doing this because this was a dangerous situation. He saw this as the right solution. She can't really fault him for that, even if it is depressing for her to feel like she has lost her chance to help Charlie. But yeah, I just, I see her coming back and kind of restarting these relationships and her place at break bills. And I can just imagine her feeling really conflicted about all of it. She mentions that she doesn't know what she wants, that she has no direction, that she's she's lost her focus from the last five years now that she has her answers about Charlie and her answers about what she can do about Charlie. Mm-hmm. And so what she's going to do next is a question she has to grapple with for the first time. Break bills definitely provides some stability and some, some I think, useful opportunities for what comes next for her, but it also comes with things that probably would make her feel uncomfortable or worried or isolated. I think that the fact that as soon as she comes back, Elliot and Margot start to try to use her for her aunt, it's really highlighting that Margot's doing exactly what she always feared Margot was doing with her. <laughs> yeah. And when she's unsure of her relationships with everyone, including Quentin, who she was probably closest with before, that just has to be a really frustrating and isolating place to be in. But I, I appreciate how the episode does have these kind of subtle changes over the course of the episode that really illustrate how she does find some sense of community at Break Bill still. How she encounters these awkward or insincere kinds of interactions, but then she also has more sincere interactions over the course of the episode. When Elliot comes up to her and says, friends don't let friends drink Long Island iced teas, <laughs> uh, and that he's going to mix her a better drink, I think is a nice moment. Well, he he just gives her his drink. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't... To get on her good side. Yeah, yeah, that seemed genuine. Yeah, it was... Elliot cares about drinks and doing things that, and like being hedonistic in a stylish way. But or also in a way seems that is... like almost like a good host and not that he's the host true, of the true. cottage, but it has that feel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so this is something that he does prioritize in his own life. And so when he sees a friend doing something that he finds sad or wrong, he's going to help them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we see Alice and Quentin starting to get a better relationship as they also discuss things outside of their their history. But when Alice finds out about Quentin's dad, she asks if there's anything that she can do to help. You know, she says, is there anything that we can do to fix him? Not that you can do, um, which I think is shows her genuine care for Quentin. And then I'm sure it's nice for her to hear from Quentin at the end of the episode that he's glad that she's back, that there is someone who is happy to have her there. So yeah, I can just imagine Alice throughout this episode kind of trying to think about what her place is, whether Break Bills is right for her, whether she actually is going to be more or less isolated at Break Bills, and not entirely by the end of the episode just feeling like, oh, now I have my group of friends and we're I'm a part of this place, but starting to get some glimmers of hope and some some nice interactions that hopefully at least convince her to stay longer. Yeah. 
Yeah. What about you? Who's your perspective? Oddly enough, I was thinking about Pete's perspective. Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, even though Pete, we know what he did. He mm-hmm. sexually assaulted Julia at the beginning of the show. And and just so flippantly like, oh, why would you be affected by that? Like, um, clearly you were clueless and destructive. But here in this episode, I was kind of just feeling his frustration at the situation. What he said about Julia in, in this episode, I think was correct that she just kept taking and not once did she take their advice. Mm-hmm. And I <laughs> have definitely had a experiences like that. <laughs> my my oldest sister who doesn't listen to this podcast definitely makes some really questionable destructive decisions and never listens to me or my other sister it's like she hears what we're saying in a conversation but it doesn't actually impact her decision making in any way she Mm -hmm. really just listens to the people who are more similar to what she already was thinking or wanting to do and it just gets so exhausting that it it feels like so pointless why bother talking about any of these things Mm -hmm. because it just takes energy and you're just gonna do what you want to do anyway and have the consequences of that and like yeah it just it can get very tiring and just like i don't want to listen to you being sad about the consequences when you literally did things that we are saying stop doing Mm -hmm. stop doing it's hurting you you know uh so (laughs) i was just feeling that like pete i'm telling you don't come here don't do these things marina could kill you Yet she keeps doing it anyway. And I don't know how I feel about his decision to erase Julia from James's mind. Yeah. Well, first of all, James didn't give consent for that. Yeah. So not okay. But was it just because he was trying to protect James? I don't know. Uh, that That's uh, an unanswerable question. But yeah I, I understand that Julia acting as erratic as she was and being dangerous with her own magic and her own experiments with magic, she could have lit the whole apartment on on fire. you know she was putting him James in danger mm-hmm. because he doesn't know what she's doing and therefore can't decide whether he still wants to be in a relationship with her or not. Mm -hmm. And Marina, could she be a vengeful person? She seems like she is in terms of blackmailing Katie. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I I can see why he would think James is in danger because if Marina gets annoyed at Julia enough, maybe she'll just take it out on James to punish Julia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I was just yeah, kind of really feeling that frustration, yet he is still trying to help. Not completely altruistically. <laughs> he 
takes sex in a quid pro quo way of connecting her with another safe house. And, you know, he, he's risking at least his access to local magic mm-hmm. if Marina finds out that he helped Julia in any way. And who knows? Maybe he's even risking his life. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I was just kind of feeling that frustration, even though he is not all in the right. Definitely not. But just feeling like I'm trying to help you. And you're just like throwing that help away, doing whatever you want and expect to get what you want, even if you're being really unwise and dangerous. And I was I was also kind of like, it's not only that she's not taking advice, it's also that she has no interest in really giving anything back. Mm-hmm. That she didn't want to work with another safe house that knew less than her. Yeah. She wasn't interested in the community that magic could bring. She only wanted the knowledge mm-hmm. uh, in a very self-focused, individualistic way. And Pete, even though we don't know that much about him at this point, I think he is much more wanting the community aspect of magic and being involved and being a loyal underling (laughs) to Marina and being able to learn in that environment where Julia is much more, at this point, focused on just accumulating knowledge for herself and not bringing anyone new into the folds like Pete did, right? He, He was like, oh, she has magic. Uh, all assaults her to join in this uh, in this safe house. But yeah, he was noticing different people and bringing them in. So yeah, yeah it would be frustrating if you see someone and you're like, oh, they have magic potential. And then you're like, oh, they have a lot of magic potential. And then it's like, you're destroying everything. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure he also feels used. I mean, they're using each other in yeah. many ways, but... When he feels that about himself and then sees the way that she flippantly dismisses James, I think that there's much more complicated things going on with Pete than just he is a jerk who thinks he knows what's best for Julia. I think that she is also showing that her decision-making, her justifications are skewed. Yeah, definitely. But why don't we close out this episode by talking about the title. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Mendings, comma, major and minor? Yeah, I'm not too down on this title. I think that obviously we see Quentin mend the airplane mm-hmm. in the scene with his father. And then after thinking about Alice's perspective, I saw maybe some mendings of relationships mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. which I found really nice. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's like, I like that it really does encompass what was being dealt with in this episode. Even even that theme of we can't fix everything, but we mm-hmm. can't fix some things. It's like we can't always do the major mendings, but maybe we can do the minor ones. Yeah. But it also just feels very lackluster. <laughs> So it's like, I I like the, the conceptual aspects of it, but as a title, it's kind of like, leaves you wanting. Yeah, I think that it does help knowing spoiler information. 
mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that does make it more impactful totally, to see. Totally. Mm-hmm. But especially if I was coming at this my first time watching, yeah. it would have been absolutely forgettable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I forgot the title until we were looking at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, if it were me, I probably would have gone with something more like Cancer Puppy. Then you know exactly the episode <laughs> they're talking about. Granted, I have not had cancer myself. Maybe I would feel differently about that if I had. Uh, I don't know. Or even like, you know, something about Welters or Alumni Week. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, that's going to wrap up this week's discussion. So what are we talking about next time on The Magicians? So we are going to be watching episode six, Impractical Applications, where the first years become Animorphs. Oh, yeah. We should do that series next. Shouldn't we, though? (laughs) Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. Find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And results are in from what our patrons want for perks, which include having more frequent live Zoom meetups to talk about the show, kind of like how we did for the Hunger Games. So we'll be solidifying those dates really soon. And also they voted for a very low key book club, Uh, not necessarily of the magicians unless that's what people vote for. But yeah, we'll be reading a book, maybe two this year and, and meeting up to talk about them. So if you're interested in those things, it's a great time to join Patreon so that you can vote on all of the specifics. Another way that you can help us out is by telling a friend about the podcast. If you like The Magicians, if you're watching it for the first time, you think someone else would like it, word of mouth is always the best way for us to find new listeners. And so that would be a ton of help. We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com, Instagram, or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.